I'm back in the saddle again. Broadcasting live on Better Horses Network. Sharon Camarillo's fun and fast times. Nobody holds a candle to me in my red high heels. Join National Hall of Famer and author Sharon Camarillo as she inspires, educates, and entertains while exploring the fastest growing equine sport, barrel racing. Get information from top trainers, competitors, and equine educators. Tips on training, competition, hauling, nutrition, and more. And now, live from the beautiful San Joaquin Valley of California, here's your host, Sharon Camarillo. I love my opening. It just makes me want to prance. Day by day, I strive to be the best Sharon I can be in our show today will shed some inspiration on how each of us can strive to achieve our goals. Early in my career, my mentors were competitors like Ari and Martha Josie and champions like Larry Mahan, who I watched as they turned their arena reputations into sponsorships and business opportunities that had the earning potential to last long past the rewards of competition. Early on, Jim Shoulders led the way as in Dorsey uh, for Wrangler, and he set such a great example, not only inside the arena, but also out of the arena. When my husband won the PRCA All-Around Championship, we established Rafter C Productions and went into the rope manufacturing business. However, it was possibly our books published by the Western Horseman magazine that helped us most build our names which help promote our schools, our product sales, and our endorsements. Marketing our names was new to us, but an obvious step towards the future. In today's world of multi-million dollar competitions, we rarely see a contestant in any discipline without NASCAR-like logos covering their shirts. The equine industry has joined the ranks of professional athletes to compete for advertising dollars companies are willing to offer. Competitors' goal is to capitalize on their fame and recognition, while the sponsor's goal is to relate his product with a successful athlete. Today's show is titled, Don't Sell Yourself Short, and I'm excited to have two champions who have become extremely successful in marketing their name and talent. I'm excited about this show as I rarely go to a clinic around the world that I don't get the question, how do I go about getting sponsorships? Our guests will shed some light on how they were able to convert their success in the arena to successful careers after competition. Right after this commercial break, we'll be talking to 11-time world's champion, truly a barrel racing legend, Charmaine James, and multi-time world's champion, in the National Rain Cow Horse Association, National Cutting Horse Association, National Raining Horse Association, and AQHA Man of the Year, the legendary Al Dunning. We'll be right back after a good word from MVP. You're listening to Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times on the Better Horses Network. We'll be right back after this. MedVet pharmaceutical products are recognized in the industry as the trusted brand. 
product ingredient formulas are pharmaceutical grade and certified for potency and purity through the National Animal Supplement Council for high performance. MVP's Gastroplex provides over 15,000 milligrams of high-level active ingredients recognized to support the integrity of soft tissue stomach lining against the abrasiveness of gastric acid. Gastroplex carries a 60-day satisfaction guarantee or 100% money back and is highly recommended by veterinarians and leading professionals, including Sharon Camarillo. Call United Vet Equine at 800-328-6652 and mention the Sharon Camarillo podcast to receive $50 off a two-month supply of Gastroplex. Retails at $108.75. This is Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. And now, back to Sharon. Welcome back. Our topic is don't sell yourself short. And in today's world of multi-million dollar rodeo and equine competitions, competition among contestants to sequester sponsorship is fierce and it takes individuals with, with business acumen and competitive savvy to enjoy not only the accolades earned through competition, but also the lucrative sponsorships rightfully earned by industry champions. Our first interview is a wife, a mother, a beautiful woman, a great friend, an extraordinary competitor, a product designer, a talented equine clinician, not to mention a $2 million cowgirl earned before the large payoffs that we're used to seeing today were available. Charmaine James, welcome to Fun and Fast Times. Hey, thank you. What a great intro. (laughs) That was nice. (laughs) Well... I, I have to ask, you know, at different times when we when our resumes are read and you stand back and you wait for, you know, your opportunity to stand up to the podium, do you ever just kind of think, wow, I did that? Oh, sure. I, you know, I, I go back and look and I just feel truly, truly blessed to, you know, basically put in the right place at the right time and, you know, my parents just instilled hard work and never give up attitude and I was kind of born with that and and so I kind of get how I got where I was but I (laughs) you know I'm so fortunate and humbled you know to have had the great horses especially scamper along the way to help me get there and amazing family and vets and all the people who help you get where you need to get so it's not you know I look at it's not just me it's you know it was a whole whole slew of things that came together well, on show nine, we talked about it takes a team, and anyone that doesn't acknowledge the power of that team, you know, hasn't been to the to the areas that you've been. You know, you were 14 years old when you qualified for your first national finals rodeo, Charmaine, and not only did you win the rookie of the year, you won your first of 11 championships. Do you remember thinking back uh, how you felt during that time and what it was like competing with women that in many cases were twice your age? Um, You know, I just remember leaving Oklahoma City after I won that first world championship and kind of stopping, you know, for a moment, pulling out of the tent. I I was a passenger and just sitting there taking it all in. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what did I, what just happened? You know, because that first year, it's just such a blur, you know, and you're in, you know, you're in this fight or in competition and, 
you know, it's constantly getting here, getting there, taking care of your horse, and you got school, and you've got all these things to juggle, and so you really don't have time to probably take all that in, but I do remember that moment of, oh my gosh, what just happened? That was amazing. Wow. How, how did the contestants treat you as, as a 14-year-old? You know what? I... I, uh, everybody was great. I learned a lot from, you know, the ladies that were out there on the road. You know, one of my favorite people, um, coming along was Leanne Gilkey. Me and, uh, Leanne and I went back and forth that 1984 year and she was such a gracious, humble person, her and her husband, Randy. And they just really stuck in my mind, um, from the get go. But, you know, they're, when you're competing, there's always catty, nasty things that are said, and I think that's just the sport of any competition. doesn't matter if you're barrel racing, you're at a football game, or, you know, even at my boys' baseball games, there's always people, you know, getting in there and saying things, and I think that's just the spirit of competition, and I guess I kind of embraced that all along and used that as fuel to, you know, to work harder and do better. Well, I always but remember overall, the were- first time that I – had heard Charmaine James and we were at the Houston Livestock Show and feeling pretty cocky about my run and setting significant in the go around and uh, you know how we were standing back watching the, the the performances that we weren't up in and zoom here came Scamper and Charmaine James and gosh pretty first barrel second barrel third barrel smooth it wasn't you know throwing dirt up against the wall it was just smooth and I think you outran us by four or five tenths of a second. And, you know, what's the initial reaction is, oh, did the timer work? And then you did it again and you did it again and you left us in the dust for the next 20 years. I just, it was so exciting to see the start of your fantastic career. Well, that's right. In the, in the, in the beginning, Scamper did everything so flawless and there wasn't a lot of wasted motion um, anywhere in there and he just had a long stride and could just really stop the clock he didn't look like he was like you said throwing dirt up against the fences and <laughs> and um, and so when I was going to the amateur rodeos um, that's when it all really started you know a lot of t- a lot of times those amateur rodeos were flagged they weren't timed and you know there was a lot of the flagman you know missed my time there was a lot of we were paying the flagman there was a lot of all this because scamper just didn't look like he was moving you know and um it took a little while for that to really like okay he's really doing it i don't know if it took <laughs> 10 years but it took a while for people to really you know get it and and anytime anybody new comes to the scene and you know i had different kind of bridles i didn't didn't ride exactly like everybody else. So it was, it was definitely a time for people to, you know, critique and, and comment. And it was, it was an interesting time and, and shoot, I, I wouldn't change any of it for a minute. (laughs) You know, a few years after your rookie year, you came back and you had earned the number one back number at the national finals which meant that you came into the uh, uh, the year with more money won than even the all-around cowboy. When uh, with a remarkable success and your growing resume, I can only imagine that the sponsors were standing in line to sign you. Who did you have helping you uh, enter and organize your rodeo business, and and who fielded those sponsorships, Charmaine? 
Well, when I first started, um, on the sponsorship side, there wasn't a lot out there. Um, you know, a lot of the things that I had, um, you know, were probably stuff that you won and it was just an automatic, this is what you get. There wasn't necessarily a lot of negotiating with those. Um, but my mom, what there was, my mom pretty well looked after all my business. My mom entered the rodeos, you know, took care of of all that side of it until I, you know, got a little bit older where I was responsible enough and, and, um, you know, then I took the wheel and went on, but she was teaching me along the way. It wasn't like she was just doing it and I didn't do anything. I was darn sure involved all the way and she was showing me and helping me. And, you know, a lot of it was trial and error. And, you know, anytime you come out there the first year, you sure don't enter right. You don't go to the right places at the right time. So it takes a little bit of learning and, and and figuring that out and I always say I went to the school of rodeo and university of hard knocks nothing was, <laughs> nothing was super easy um but you you know you learn how to do things and and get out there and and um you know the sponsorship stuff that's a, that's a whole new learning thing just learning how to manage the contracts and and making sure that you know deals aren't just one-sided that you know you got to learn to make them work for both parties and 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 I think the business side of it definitely takes more time and, you know, being, you know, knowledgeable of that is something there, you know, if I go back and do it again, maybe that side, I would, you know, have a better idea what to do. And, and, um, there wasn't necessarily agents, you know, when I started out, I, I, uh, I know my mom worked really hard, um, contacting IMG, you know, they were always working on getting, um, a tire deal, maybe a gas deal, certain things like that. And, and, um, you know, rodeo kind of lacked exposure to get those big deals. Like, you know, we thought we should get, but really, you know, we weren't getting the exposure that we needed, but we headed down that road and, and learned a lot. And then, you know, what was available, what would come your way and what benefited you and the sponsor, you just learned to work through those. And obviously as I got older, my husband, Tony Garitano, that's what he does. He uh, he represents a lot of the Cowboys as a sports agent and has been in the sports marketing industry his whole life. And so definitely um, he was able to help me out. And, and um, I'm still learning from him. Well, life is a learning opportunity for sure. And, you know, I think uh, around 2003, correct me if I'm wrong, you you uh, shifted your focus from competition to your breeding and training program, your your barrel racing clinics, and your sponsor relations. So uh, Tony was inspirational in, in helping you uh, become the Charmaine James we know today? Um, yes, definitely. And Tony, you know, Tony went down the road with me winning, you know, that last world championship. And, it, you know, it was really fun to have a sports guy in there. You know, he had a really great eye for mechanics and things that he, he would see things that no one else saw that I knew I needed to do, which was nice. Um, and, and then, you know, when we, we got married, we wanted to have a family and, and, uh, you know, I just didn't really want to be on the road. I didn't want to raise a family traveling. And I just really had a passion for doing schools. I, I always wanted to do them. I just didn't probably have the, the all the tools that I needed to do schools early on I was I was really young um I needed to figure out what it was that I did that that helped me do well on a lot of different horses and needed to bring that to the people and and uh, so I just finally felt that um that was it I was just ready to get off the road and 
and, uh, you know, put my drive and passion into that. And, and, you know, when I first started, my passion was helping the horses, love the horses, wanted to make sure they were well taken care of that. They, you know, they weren't hurt and people were trying to do things with them when they weren't right. And, and, uh, I love that. And then I, as I started teaching, I began to fall, fall in love with the people because, you know, they're your people who inspire you to keep doing what you do and, and the love for their horses and the love for what they do. Every time I go out to a clinic, I just enjoy being around the people. And, and it's just a different mentality. Some people think it's a fight and it's a struggle because it's a lot of work when people are making changes. And when they've been riding one way for a certain way and you change everything around, it can be really difficult. But just hanging with them through that and and anybody's got the possibility of, you know, reaching the NFR one day or, you know, getting to your circuit finals, being a high school champion, you know, little, you know, little britches champion, whatever, you know, you've got your goals and anybody can reach that. You just have to put the work into it. Well, it's interesting as a clinician, you know, we've heard for years the the statement that practice makes perfect. But what I've found is that practice makes permanent. And, you know, they come to a two or three day clinic and they want to have these miraculous changes. But, you know, that change, uh, you know, leaving your bad habits behind and, and reestablishing better habits in their place, that, that's a learning opportunity in its own right. Correct, yes. And, and the number one thing I tell everybody is you have got to go compete. Even if you fall flat on your face, you know, for a year, you have got to go because if you've got that drive to get where you're going to get, where your goal is, setting your goals and trying to get there, you may fall flat. You may take going through a couple horses, but you've got to go compete, and you're going to learn, and you're going to figure out the things that work and don't work. And and sometimes things fall your way, and sometimes they don't. And I think that's probably to a higher power. God might have a plan for all of us somehow, some way. But, um, you know, the main thing is just getting out there and going and, and, and have fun doing it. Golly, don't be miserable and hate your horses when things don't go right. Why? You know, I think if you – every rider can be – if I can just, you know, every time something goes wrong, I got to check myself. Is there something I can do, you know, study myself, study my riding. What was I doing? Where was I sitting? Where was I looking? Where were my hands? You know, you begin to start figure out, um, you know, what's going on rather than this mentality of just blame your horse, work them, work them, work them, terrorize them, terrorize them. If you might've been you know, <laughs> making some mistakes and it really, you know, if you kind of follow that principle of taking the blame on yourself when things don't go right, you might be kind of hard on yourself, but you really become a better rider in the end. Well, I think it's safe to say more so me than you, of course, but we've been outrun on a given day at rodeos across the country by riders who respectfully wouldn't know leads or outside rain from a lead rope. And uh, they're, what, they, what they do have in common, they're fearless in their ability to go fast. Uh, great sure. coaches around the country agree that winning is where opportunity meets preparation. And you've written in your Barrel Horse News articles that sometimes uh, a little luck is necessary and you've got to make your own luck when you can. We're both clinicians right. and uh, both proponents of education. Uh, I, what I'm trying to say, uh, you know, from a 14 year old national finalist, 19 national finals qualifications, do you ever think that education gets in the way of excelling? 
Mm, I suppose the wrong education would, for sure. And and look, I I'm a great believer in you got to have this balance to you, and you've got to be able to have the fire to get out there and go compete first and foremost. But you got to also, you know, you got to be able to run a business. You got to be able to ride. You got to be able to take care of that horse. You got to know where to go. You got all these pieces that need to go together. And crafting those so that you can win and do good is is important. And, and you can't just change a bit and, you know, work your horse every day. You might be missing some things. You know, you may not be taking care of your horse exactly. You might not have the correct team behind you. You may not have the right horseshoe. You may not be using, you know, it's it's all about putting those pieces together in ways that work and education is important but if you don't have that drive and that fearlessness to get out there and go compete and willing to accept to fail you know you're missing a piece of it i i look at it as the difference in being coachable versus maybe staying too methodical you know so many of our mm-hmm. of our yeah. mentors and friends that we've you know grown up with they're still trying to do the same thing several years in the past it didn't work then and it's still not working but Training competition, you know, is often two steps forward and a step back. And you've got to, just like you're saying, I love how you're putting it, is that we've got to lay it out there just to see where we are and what what we do know and what we don't know. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Right. And I, and I think the biggest thing is being uh, okay with failing. Like, you you know what, if I don't make this, if I look like a fool, you, you, just, you just have to get there and People are going to talk, and it doesn't matter what hat you're wearing, what boots you're wearing. There's always going to be somebody who thinks it's stupid or dumb. So it just really doesn't matter. And I, you know, talking to a lot of my students, they really start to worry what people are thinking if they look like this. And, I, you know, I'm guilty of it to a certain extent. But at some point, you just have to get to where when you do make a mistake and you, and you, you know, feel like you failed, it's just like, look, it's okay. I learned this from it. Move on. Move on. And I always say that we're so blessed to live in a country that gives us that opportunity to be able to pursue our dreams and goals. Oh, love our country. <laughs> Thank you. Charmaine, yeah, from your country. perspective, I would love to have you reiterate that famous Friday the 13th at the National Finals Rodeo when your bridle malfunctioned and you and Scamper cross the finish line with his bit hanging between his front legs. How'd you feel when that happened? Did you know that, that you well, were in a situation say, that could be uh, pretty yeah, out oh of no, control? I knew. Growing up, you know, riding horses all the time and having horses that run away in the middle of nowhere and things you're already kind of prepared for it when you're already kind of fearless, which probably drives your parents crazy, <laughs> you know, you, things like the, all that happened before prepared you for that very moment. And, you know, when I went in the arena, Scamper was always really hard to hold back. He was just, as soon as he saw the alleyway, he wanted to just go. And so I had got over to that side and he, I was trying to hold him and he kind of like brushed his head up against that cement wall there. And it had, the Chicago screw had come loose, I'm sure just being a kid or whatever, didn't check my equipment, whatever, and, and took off and the head stall came flying back and one of the conchos had just scraped me under my eye, like it just come back and just flung and hit me just right. And, uh, so I knew going in, I'm like, okay, this could be a problem. Um, 
just act like nothing is wrong, do everything the same. And that was just the first thing that went through my mind and try to keep the reins picked up because you don't want him to trip on it. If the, you know, if the bit comes out, you know, you just want to kind of keep the bit in the mouth. That's your only control. Keep a hold of the reins. And, um, you know, we got through the run till the third barrel and I know I probably just dropped my hand a hair and he spit that bit out and I'm like, well, we got through it. And for whatever reason, I, you know, crazy kid, I just whipped him out. And then it was like, <laughs> uh Oh, and uh, as we were running out, there was a gate in the back, and they started to shut it. And I I squeezed through the opening in that gate at a high rate of speed, <laughs> like clearing like half an inch on both sides of my legs. I just squeezed through there. And if they had closed that gate, it would probably killed us. And so we're running up that long moat, and I'm just pulling on the reins. I'm like, whoa, try not to freak out, whoa. And, and I'd already had in my mind if – we go beyond because there's the alleyway, then there's the warm up area where there's dirt, and then beyond that, you're you're concrete and free to go to the strip of Las Vegas. And I thought, I am not riding this horse on the concrete. I will jump off on the dirt because he'll kill me if he slips and falls down. So um, I'd already had in my head that I was going to bail off on the dirt if I couldn't get him stopped. But you know, lo and behold, just pulling on the reins that was around his chest, and my uncle. Um, Frank Brown was up at the top and he was kind of got out in front of him and then grabbed the reins and just kind of, kind of scared scamper for a minute. But then it was like, Oh, okay. So we just kind of skidded to a stop just past the alleyway up at the top. And it was like, Oh my gosh. And then they came and they're like, you won the go around. You won the go around. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it was, a, it was a wreck. I, I didn't like, I, I thought they were joking because it was just seemed like such a disaster. And, and uh, they're like, no, here's your horse. Get on. Go down there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That was crazy. But, yeah, it was unbelievable night. Unbelievable. Well, you vested, you know, 16,000 fans and friends in that, in that uh, coliseum standing and cheering for you. And then I'm so glad I asked that question because – you know, Martha Josie and some of our friends have been in terrible situations when a gate man's open, shut, open, shut the gate. And oh, my word, to be able to squeak through that. Every every star was in alignment that night. I just it gives me goosebumps sure. to think about it, Charmaine. Yeah, definitely. For sure. I, uh, you know, you look back on those things and your guardian angel was looking after you somehow, some way. Um just wanted to try and scare us a little bit, I suppose. Well, one more reason why why Scamper remains the only barrel horse inducted into the Professional Rodeo Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs. And I love it there in the uh, garden that there's a beautiful bronze with a beautiful little girl bronze. riding yes. that big strided horse and his bit <laughs> hanging down between his knees. I just, you know, what a story it tells. Right. Yep. No, he he loved his job and for anybody out there who's going and competing and you know if you're training and riding you've got to love what you do and you make those horses love what they do and things don't always go right they're going to be on your side if they love their job and they love you and and um you know no doubt that that's what saved us Charmaine during that transition when you went from arena contestant to a businesswoman uh, or let's say uh, clinician, 
you also sold your story to Hollywood. Is, are we going to be able to see that one of these days? Well, New Line Cinema uh, purchased my life story rights, and the option period has run out. Um, there was a gentleman at New Line, Chris Godsick, loved the story, and he wanted, um, you know, we even had the writer of uh, Black Stallion come down. She lived with us. They wrote the story, so on and so forth. And at that time, um, there were, you know, I, I think Chris Godsick was leaving, moving on, and so my story kind of got, um, you know, in the crosshairs of all of it. I don't know, you know, right now nothing is in the works, um, and I'm not holding my breath, but I, you know, I would love to see the story get made about Scamper because he, for an athlete to stay on the top of their game for 10 years is just absolutely unbelievable, and you know, Hollywood kind of seems to think my story was a little too apple pie and needed some drama, more drama to it. And and uh, but I think that there's enough things going on in there that that uh, you know he's just no horse has ever done what he's done. I I tell my kids I'm like Scamper was the toughest horse on the face of the earth, no doubt. There will, will never be another horse like him ever. And I have cowboy so friends that tell me what a hard bucking son of a gun he is before you ever got him, that they bucked tough ranch cowboys off. Yeah, he had he had quite a reputation. He, um, uh, the Buddy Draper, he that raised him and bred him, it was breaking him and put him in the hospital with broken ribs and um, hurt him pretty good. He ended up selling him through the Lahana, Colorado sale. He went to Guyman, uh, Oklahoma sale. He then went to uh, Clovis, uh, livestock Clovis, New Mexico sale, where he then went to Clayton, New Mexico, went through the sale there, changed hands two or three times in Clayton, <laughs> all before his four-year-old year, because he was he was just dangerous. Um, well, you know, whenever we get a, a, a horse's set of papers and he's got multi-owners, that tells us a story, and what a remarkable yes. story that you and Scamper have. I sure hope that we get to see it on the screen, or at least a book. You know, you were also invited as um, as a fan favorite to compete in the in the first American race. How was that to come out of competition into that caliber of uh, of a, a rodeo and and do? I mean, you hit a barrel to to go back into the top four. You know, that was really really fun. Um, I I enjoyed it. I have a horse that I raised that I thought, you know, I've kind of kept this horse around because he's pretty nice kind of horse and. He really hadn't been much anywhere, and and um, it was really really fun, um, and to to be that competitive, I I just everything that I teach and I know, I just really stayed focused on my basics, and and uh, you know kind of was able to go and and be you know somewhat competitive, and I was proud of that. Um, however, I I know how much work I put in going up and down the road, and. You know, sometimes you do real well and sometimes you don't. And even with that hard work put in, things don't always go right and you didn't always do the right thing. But um, I, I was glad to do as good as what I did, you know, without the commitment that I had always put into going and competing. And and uh, I was proud of that. And not that I didn't want to put the commitment in. It was just with schools and the boys and different things. Your Your life is just a different place. But it was really a lot of fun. 
I, I also have to commend you on that fantastic monthly article that you do for the Barrel Horse News, Ideas, Tips, and Chatter with Charmaine James. You know, I, I'm such a proponent of education and foundation, and your information is well presented. It's no nonsense. It's it's geared to riders at any level interested in barrel racing and training and competition. Uh, does it tie together with the Western Horseman book that you wrote? Well, sure. I you know the Western Horseman book. Um, I wrote that in two thousand and three, and you know here we are, two thousand seventeen. Um, I've got a whole uh, you know I I have learned and tweaked and you know I mean my core basics are there but as you learn to teach and you become a better coach and you know trying to help people the best way you're always trying to improve and and so yes that book is a lot of the basics but I really need to revise it and there's some things I need to add you know with different problems that pop up that people have and so on and so forth and you know, those articles that Bonnie Wheatley writes with me, it's just truly geared to real-life issues of handling them. And, and um, you know, like I said, my, my schooling comes from the university or the School of Rodeo and University of Hard Knocks. I had to learn so much of the, the things the hard way. But also with that, just learning, you know, having really broke horses, how to make them broke, being a good horseman, being responsible for your you know, um, what your hands are doing, the awareness of things that are happening around you. And once you have good muscle memory, you know, being able to get in that alleyway and let things happen. And, and there's just a lot that goes into it and, and just blessed to have learned great things and learned things that really didn't work that well and, and uh, putting it to use, um, what works, what doesn't work and, and um, bringing that to the people every month. Um, has been, you know, amazing. Well, I was going to ask you, too, what tips you might offer for uh, young girls. And, you know, in my clinics, I see young girls and I see 50 and 60-year-old women who've got their children raised and now they want to go out and and attempt being a barrel racer. And I was going to ask you what tips you'd have, but I think that you really summed that up and you know, I think writing your thoughts help you organize your thoughts and teaching uh, helps you also really get solid in the beliefs that you have for your own your own uh, training. And I um, and I highly recommend the, the, any of the Western Library books, but um, I know mine has created a foundation for me and I'm sure you, yours has for you. And I look forward to a revision. Yeah, definitely, definitely, because, you know, we're competitors and constantly tweaking, and, you know, that's just like headed out and going to those rodeos. Okay, well, I'd have made this a little adjustment here, a little adjustment there, you know, if you're doing it all the time. But, you know, being a teacher full-time, that's, um, you know, you're always, you know, tweaking a little here or there and, and, um, you know, just keeping the focus on the people and the horses and, um, you know, got, not getting caught up in anything else other than just doing your very best to make a change in their life for the better. And, um, you know, sticking to that core principle of it doesn't matter who it is, where they're from, how much money they have, how poor they are, whatever their situation is, every life is important, every horse is important. And, 
and um, just wanting to make that difference is is something for me that keeps me going. Well, I love the fact that that every horse and every rider teaches us in in ways to how to get a point across a little better, how to move a leg a little different. You know, they're we're all different, and in, in mm-hmm. God's eyes, we're all loved. And and I I love hearing you so humble because you have so many fans, Charmaine. You've done such wonderful work in in every aspect of uh, your public life, and and I certainly admire you. Well, thank you, and and you as well. We are in the same field, and anyone out there helping and and um, you know being with the people, it's it's um it's really a, it's a great thing in life to be able to do that, and and I feel very fortunate. And you know, the old saying is, "Do what you love, and you'll do a great job at it," and that's so true. Even though I'm not competing, and everybody's like, "Do you miss it?" I, I don't miss competing. I don't I don't miss it at all. I wouldn't give up my life, what I have right now with, with my boys and in school to go back to you being on the road full time. Wouldn't trade it for anything, but I don't want to go back to it. Don't you know? I it's a long. You know, I say I, I eighty, I twenty five is just as long as it was uh, back then. You know, people want to say, well, competition is different, but competition basically those road miles are all the same. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's a lot more horses, the breeding, you know, these amazing breeding programs that people have. You can see it in the horses. There, You just got a lot more competition out there. There were tough horses way back when, and, you know, there's some tough horses now, and um, there's just probably a lot more of them. Charmaine, if uh, anyone would like to learn more uh, about your clinic schedule or your barrel racing equipment that you have with Rainsman, what's the best way to get a hold of you or your company? Um, you can go to CharmaineJames.com and you can check out the clinic schedules. We have 10 clinics scheduled this year all around the country and um, on my website as well, all my products, everything um, I've designed all my saddles, you know, to to where I feel like, you know, they're going to help your horse, help you. The bits, the same thing, the kind of the philosophies that I've um, learned throughout the years. I've transferred over and designed all those bits, and, and you can see that line on my website as well. And Or you can uh, go to the Rainsman website and look up dealers to get out and look. But um, also, people email me questions. Um, they can go to info at CharmaineJames.com or clinics at CharmaineJames.com um, if they have any questions. And um, a lot of times people want me to answer questions about problems with their horse or, you know, any anything that's maybe going on with them. And I can help a little bit there. But um, in most cases, what people tell me and then what I see are two totally different things. And, and um, so really, you know, me getting a set of eyes on you and spending, you know, a little bit of time with you is huge. That's why getting out to the clinics is important. Um, I don't charge spectator fees. A lot of people that come out and watch the clinics, they get in there and they realize that they want to be participants. And so, you know, just opening their eyes. And if it's one young girl that couldn't afford to get into a clinic, we do some scholarships, but also just that opportunity to get in there and watch and and see what's going on. Um, I feel like that's important too. So, um, CharmaineJames.com and, uh, you can sure get on there and see all the lists of 
you know, different sponsors I have, Total Equine, Haywright, Rainsman, um, Wheelers here in Bernie, Texas, where I get my trailers from. And uh, anyway, and I'm not a big salesperson. I don't like to cram anything down people's people's throat, just like to educate them and, and let them make a decision for themselves, what they feel like is going to work best for them. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for joining me de- today and sharing your contacts and your sponsors with us. Uh, before you came on, I know that uh, you were having tractor parts delivered. So in your multifaceted life of being a mother, a businesswoman, a, a wife, uh, you're you're out, I guess, getting ready to work your ground. So uh, I, I want to join with, with your friends and fans and wishing you continued success and I hope you'll joining us join us again. I hope you'll join us again on Fun and Fast Times. Yes, would love to. Thank you so much for having me. Good luck. Right on, cowgirl. Thanks, Sharon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll be right back with a multifaceted businessman, a world's champion horseman, who prides himself in developing champion horses and riders. He's an AQHA professional horseman, of the year, a Western Horseman Award winner, Al Dunning. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times on the Better Horses Network. We'll be right back after this. Destination, South Point. 11 great restaurants, bingo, bowling, movies, race books, sports books, spa, live entertainment, oversized rooms, and the rates, unbeatable. The South Point, Las Vegas. Book now. Online at southpointcasino.com or call 866-791-7626. southpointcasino.com or call 866-791-7626. At the South Point, Las Vegas, you're always a winner. The Barrel Racing Superstore is your one-stop shop, and we're here to help you. We have Rainsman bits, including Sharon's entire collection, and those hard-to-find discontinued favorites that we're committed to keeping in stock. You can build the saddle of your dreams with our experts, including seat size, tooling, and colors, so you can have a truly custom saddle. If you need electronic timers for your arena or association, we have them. Call us at 530-521-4644 or go to BarrelRacingSuperstore.com. We're here for your success. This is Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. And now, back to Sharon. Welcome back. Our topic on today's show is Don't Sell Yourself Short. And our next guest and his students have garnered 45 world and reserve championships in the American Quarter Horse Association, National Cutting Horse Association, National Rain Cow Horse Association, and National Raining Horse Association competitions. He's a husband, a father, a proud grandfather. His business acumen and all-around horsemanship savvy has earned him the reputation as a horseman, always eager to share his knowledge, philosophy, and training skills with the industry. It's always an honor to welcome (laughs) Al Dunning, internationally acclaimed clinician, founder of Al Dunning Consulting LLC, and Equistat's elite million-dollar rider. Al, it's just a thrill to have you on Fun and Fast Times. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me, Sharon. It's just awesome to be there with you. You know, I love when we get to do clinics somewhere and get to get together and get to sit down and have a nice talk because I just uh, I appreciate you so much as 
as not only just a wonderful lady, but just a wonderful horseman that is not just about running barrels or whatever, but you're about good horsemanship and care of horses. I just love that part of you. Well, I appreciate you. I know you're multitasking. Where do we find you today? <laughs> well, I'm at the ranch, and I had uh, seven ladies come drive all the way from El Paso here to ride with me today and tomorrow and the next day. And then I take off and go to the AQHA convention. I'm the chairman of the judges committee, and I got to do that for a few days. And then uh, then I come back and I start my clinic here at the ranch uh, and this one's about uh, reining working cow horse and, and ranch riding. So um, I, I'm, I'm keeping pretty busy. And th- the week after that, I got a cutting to go to. So anyway. <laughs> Well, I learned just to look at my schedule just a, a few days in advance because I start getting uh, overwhelmed. But, Al, <laughs> what I want to ask you, as a young boy, you moved uh, with your family to Arizona and I have to say, you know, we know so much about your accolades in today's world, but what was the early journey that directed you toward horses? You know, um, I had rheumatic fever as a young man, and and, uh, and I was like eight or so when we moved to Arizona, and, and I just hung out. My sisters would ride, and I'd watch them and stuff, and I hung around, and, you know, the more I got around those guys, and um, I, I got around three iconic rodeo cowboys and a couple other guys and those guys were dale smith dean oliver and chuck shepherd and uh all of them are hall of famers and i got to watch them rope as a kid and i so i started roping with the other kids and you had to rope the dummy a hundred times before they'd let you come and try to rope one in the arena so you know i got a lot of practice unless if you missed you had to start completely over so i got to hanging out with them and then i got around a bulldogger guy named yale seminoff and I got to be around some really neat people um, as a young man. Um, Sammy Thurman and Anson Thurman, and I think you know who Sammy Thurman is. She's a pretty famous barrel racer from back. And anyway, Absolutely. I got to be around all those people, and and, and that was a that was kind of my introduction to it. Is is that part? Well, then I started showing in the horse shows. They had a little horse show deal there, and uh, called the Scottsdale Saddle Club, and I I showed in the horse shows, and uh, when I was twelve and and I, I, I won, and I liked it, and I liked winning something, and that made me feel good, and it made me drive forward and wanted me to get better. And then pretty soon I got that attitude. I didn't want to get beat. I had to keep learning, keep trying, get a better horse, and, you know, be sharper. And so that was, uh, that, was, that was how I started. And then I've just kept learning along the way, and I'm still learning. Well, I love the fact that you're quick to give mention and accolades to your early mentors. And in some of your bios, I also read that the legendary Don Dodge and Jim Paul, a Hall of Famer, and John Hoyt, an AQHA Lifetime Achievement Award winner, also had involvement in your early impressions in the horse industry. Well, you know, after I did that stint there at Yale Seminoffs and learned all the from all the rodeo cowboys got just watching them mainly i um i got with jim paul and i learned from him and he was a tough cowboy and he trained a horse good and we rode a lot of tough horses in those days and i was like the guinea pig and um and so uh after a period of time i got on you know with john hoyt i started riding with john and uh and so we uh it got it got where, you know, 
I just kept learning. I kept figuring out what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I wanted to do uh, reining, I think, when it finally got down to it. So when I first started training horses professionally, I trained uh, reining horses, and I did halter horses. And then I, I got doing kids, and next thing I got to doing some amateurs, and then I started really getting some good horses um, once I involved the parents. And, well, I just snowballed from there, and then several years down the road I'd won a whole lot of stuff and you know I kept thinking well I don't know how long I'm going to do this and uh, I think I want to end my career doing cutting so I hooked up with Don Dodge and uh, Don was with me for the next 10 years or so and and, uh, half a year he lived at our ranch and gosh being around an icon like him after all the other knowledge I had it was just you know like icing on the cake and um, I just appreciate getting all those men, John and Jim and Don, uh, just, I don't, I wouldn't be the horse trainer I am without them. But, you know, it's interesting, uh, even with that, I think you have to have ongoing education all the time if you're going to be any good at anything. And um, I, I have a friend here right now, Alex Ross, and he's riding with me, and he's my friend, and he, he just, he used to be the director of judges at AQHA for 14 years, and he's retired now from that. He just came out to Arizona, so we're hanging out. And every day I learn something, I feel so good about it, you know. And, and some of it isn't learning. Some of it's just, you know, re-upping, you know, your knowledge and just reminding you to get stay soft and stay focused in this case and, you know, think more about your horse and take more time, and you know, everything like that just – makes you a better rider. And as you know, Sharon, you can't mirror yourself, you know, even no matter how bad you want to have good, positive self-talk for yourself, you got to have, you know, look at the greatest golfers in the world, bring a golf coach with them onto the golf course. And, and they always are, you know, getting their game better, even the very, very best. So, you know, that's, that's what I want to keep doing in my career. I love that you that you praise your mentors and your friends, Al. And you know, it's so many times we go to the arena and someone's riding with us, and I'll say, "Hey, I forgot I used to know that." I, you know, you get yeah, on different yeah. horses and you focus on particular strengths and weaknesses, and things that you learn from another horse just kind of gets archived there, and it's so much. Um, fun to be able to ride with people that love horses, love horsemanship, and are able to help keep those parts of the pieces together. Sure is. You know, uh, we just got done with the Sun Circuit Quarter Horse Show, the largest quarter horse show in the world right here in Arizona. And I got to go down there and I watched the reining, the rope, and the cow horse. I showed in the cutting. Uh, I judged the, the down the fence cow horse challenge. Uh, I got to go watch the Western Pleasure, the Western Ride, and all that, and and it just made me think. It just made me think about what I'm doing and and how I'm doing it. And I saw people doing it right. I saw people doing it wrong. I saw people doing it, um, you know, being too too rough. I thought saw people letting horses get away with all kinds of stuff. And I kept thinking, you know, there's there's two ways to ride: the right way and the wrong way. Other than that, there's no other way. So, you know, you just, <laughs> well, you, you got to just Charmaine keep Charmaine was a guest right earlier way. in the show, and I asked her a question. You know, uh, 
we've all been outrun or outshone all over the world, you know, at different times by people that we know can't even saddle our horses. And I think that sometimes we get so involved in uh, the methodical aspects of what we do that I asked Charmaine, do you ever think that education gets in the way? Yeah, it does. You got to, you got to make sure you stay a horseman, you know, um, it's interesting, you know, I've talked to a lot of educators um, that do a fabulous job that, you know, can't hardly saddle a horse, you know, so that's the interesting part. Um, you know, uh, but when I wrote my reigning book in 1983, I had to stop and think about what I did because before that it was just right off the seat of my pants. And, you know, I was really hard to beat back in those days, really hard to beat. That was before I had my back surgery in 85 and all that stuff. So, um, but boy, I'll tell you there for a while, you know, I can't, couldn't find my rear with both hands, as they say, because I, <laughs> I just was overthinking it all, you know? Yeah, I was thinking instead of, but there, there's, there's a lot to say by riding, you know, by the seat of your pants. There's a lot of great horsemen that can't tell you a bit about what they're doing or how they're doing it but they have such a great feel. And um, if they ever had to try to explain it to you, they couldn't do it, you know. So, But I, I think isn't there a real value in your career somewhere along the line to be a teacher, an educator, pass it on, you know. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think anybody can be called a great horseman in, until they're, they care about the horse, until they've won something themselves, until they've passed it on with longevity. And I don't think you can be called a great horseman without those things. Al, I, I so appreciate the students, you know, your return students, and you have certainly been such a mentor in my life, and you probably aren't even aware because I've never been to a clinic. But I, I read your book in you know, 1980s, like you said, your, your reigning book that came out, uh, just the th- your thought process of putting it into words meant so much to me, and I'd go practice and uh, watch your videos. And when I stayed in Arizona on the rodeo tour, I would ride across the desert there at Pima, I think the the road is, and uh, uh-huh. at almost a ranch. And I'd watch what you were doing, and I'd go back, you know, by myself, and I'd experiment, and I'd read, and. Just going to the horse fairs and watching your demonstrations that I have a chance to do nowadays, I realize, my word, Al Dunning is at least 60% of my success in the barrel <laughs> racing industry and, and my teaching philosophy. And I so appreciate you for that. Well, that's so nice of you to say. You know, I, I've got you know so many girls I've helped over the years uh, with their barrel horses and things like that. And, you know... It's not just about going fast, as you know. You know, it's about having a horse that obeys and is obedient and knows how to use themselves properly, you know. And and that just takes the broke horse. And, and uh, you know, there's so many things that can happen uh, disobedient-wise in a barrel horse. And mm-hmm. things have to go so fast to, to win. There's got to be a real uh, trade-off right there of good horsemanship but allowing the horse to do what they do. So, um you know, that's such a big part of it. Well, it's amazing. I, I try to break my philosophy down in the areas that were most difficult for me. And when it boils down to it, 
you know, the quickest way to get between two points is a straight line, not un, uh-huh. not different from getting, you know, to a, a cow's shoulder. So we need Absolutely. to ride straight lines, yeah. keep our horses in between our hands and legs, be able to rate and handle our horse and, and precisely place a turn similar to the pattern work that you do in, in your reining. Yeah, yep, yeah. I, I 100% agree. And that's, that's why when you get somebody that is learning whether they're going to barrel race or anything, the fundamentals are part of it. You know, and you that's, a, that's such a basics, fundamentals, all that stuff is all way overused. There must be a better term for it. But I don't know what else to say. But if you don't have <laughs> the basics... I don't, if you don't have the basics on your horse, if you can't, if you can't, you know, go forward really well, straight, and you can't turn right and left well, and the horse follow their nose and follow with their hip and their whole body, and that he can't back up and he can't stop a little bit and he can't, you know, collect or give off the bridle a little, those five things, if you can't do those five things, I don't care what event you're doing, whether it's a trail riding or, or or barrel racing, you're not going to get the job done and you're not going to keep a good, happy, healthy, safe horse. Well, one of the reasons I'm a barrel racer is because I didn't have the opportunity to have the great lessons that were available. And uh, I saw the National Finals Rodeo and I was working at the sales yard, so I turned the trash cans over and took my cow pony and got a bat and some spurs and started beating him around the barrels. I I didn't even know what I didn't know. But but it's also the bottom line why barrel racing has become the fastest growing equine sport worldwide. I mean, we've been in China and Argentina and Australia and Italy and you know, it's, oh my gosh, it's painful to watch what some of the riders are doing on their horses, but, you know, they get a time and they get a card. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, the better broke your horse is, the more obedient he is, and, and the more you've spent the slow time on him, um, the the longer that horse is going to last. So those people that are not doing things that make you cringe, uh, they probably won't have much longevity in the business as you have. Um, you know, it's interesting that uh, most of the time when I help people, I make them walk or trot, you know, and, and get everything right and have it in their mind so they keep patterning. And so, and then, then step them up and make them, you know, lope and break down and then make them, you know, then finally let them gallop and, and just sort of keep bringing it up and bringing it down until you got all that control. Um, and like you said, turning a barrel is not a whole lot different than turning a cow. So well, and and also those those foundational skills, like you say, what do we call them? Provides a horse the resource to have a better life because so many times, you know, the horses, you know, don't get a start, don't get a foundation, get a new owner, get a new owner, have a problem, finally rear up and do whatever they're yeah. trying to yell at you that they're not happy with and. You know, there's a reputation, too many names on a on a on a registration, and you know, I I think the better we can invest in our horse's uh, foundation, the more odds are he'll have a life in someone's barn. Well, you know, I've sold a lot of our reined horses and cow horses to girls to run on, you know, because these horses were broke and they they had some speed, but they had a lot of handle. You know, it was inter- interesting. A few years ago, Martha Josie asked me to help her, and um, and we were uh, down in Houston, and I spent a couple hours with her and her girls, and 
just talk to them about some of my fundamentals and what I think about the barrel as a cow, you know, and uh, that the horse has got a cow, the barrel, just like a horse has got to work when they're working a cow, they got a cow up too. And uh, then we worked on getting them broke and moving their shoulders and handling and making them obedient. And, uh, and gosh, that was such an honor to work with her. And it's just an honor to work with you. And I get to see you at those shows and sit down and talk because you get it. That's, that's the key. Now, some, some people don't get it. You know, they don't understand. <laughs> they, don't, they don't understand about a horse when you pick up the reins how they should feel. They don't understand that you need to use your legs and not just your hands all the time, you know. And it's not just kick, 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 pull, 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 you know. So, um, but you get it. And uh, that's what I just appreciate so much. And, and you teach so well and you're so kind to your students. And, and that makes a big difference. So, you know, you want to interview me, I'd just rather interview you. How's that? <laughs> yeah, Al. Well, the, <laughs> the theme of our show today is don't sell yourself short. And you've been uh, fantastic in cultivating your sponsorships, uh, the Better Horses Network. Can you tell us a little bit about Dunning Construction or, I'm sorry, Dunning Consulting? Yeah. So, you know, I'd like to tell you about Team AD to start out. So my, my Team AD is an is a online course that you can ride with me anywhere in the world online. And um, you can uh, send me a video, and I do what I call uh, video coaching. So you get a voiceover of your video right back. Um, and you also, I have an accreditation program you can go through and go through the still skills. So I, that's, that, that's just a huge part. And you can send me a video any time of your riding, your showing, your running the barrels, whatever it might be. And, um, you know, I'll tell you, you know, what you can do to improve. And that's, that's, I think that's been a really vital program for some people. I've, re- I've really enjoyed it. Al Dunning Consulting, it's Dunning Consulting LLC is a, is a business where you can you can ha- hire me basically to consult on a, a vast number of things, whether it's uh, building your farm, uh, you know how to how to properly build your arena, how to you know what kind of who to talk to, who to deal with when when getting into the business, um, you know how to straighten out the business you've got that's unsuccessful, and some I'll be honest with you, Sharon, there's some I can straighten out. Or something I can't, you know. I mean, you gotta, you gotta have something, you know, more than if you're going to be a horse trainer and be a success, you, you got to be better than just a horse rider, you know. You got to be a real, a true trainer and a teacher, and lover of the horse, and you got to have lots of talent, and you got to have people skills too. So there's a lot to that. But you know, I can teach some of that stuff. I can teach some business skills, stuff like that. But like I said. Don Dodge always said a good Bible quote. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. And that, that's how it is. And, but the, with, uh, with Dunning Consulting, I, I try to tell you the truth about, you know, what, whatever it is, whether it's building a ranch or whether it's changing your business. So that's what I do. Al, your, your beautiful wife, Becky, is a sought-after horse show announcer and, like yourself, dedicated her life to equine mentorship and uh, tell us a little bit about the, uh, she's co- co-founder of America's Horse Cares. Oh, yeah. Well, Becky is, uh, I met her when I was 12 years old, and uh, <laughs> I thought she had cooties, you know, and so, uh, <laughs> like all girls in those days, you know, and, 
And then later on, I was playing basketball. I was dribbling down the court, and I saw this beautiful blonde girl jump up in the air and touch her toes on both sides. And, and I saw, and I thought it was Becky. And the guy stole the ball from me and went down to the other end and scored. And the, that night, I asked her out on a date, and uh, we're now we've been married 45 years. So anyway, but Becky is a she's a wonderful horse show announcer, and you know, and has a love for the horse. She was a champion rider herself, and. Uh, uh, few years ago she decided that this she has a real care for people that need help you know and and she started a business called america's horse cares which is a um a thing with the american quarter horse association to help fund therapeutic riding programs and uh, there's all kinds of criteria for it but um you know they have funding for that um they raise money for it every year um we uh, we did several fundraisers, uh, I guess 11 years in a row, we did fundraiser here at the ranch for it. Um, and it's going strong. And it, and we've, we've seen the lives of so many people, whether they're children with handicapped or whether it's, it's a, a person that's mentally impaired or whether it's a, um, a veteran that is, you know, has problems coming back. We've seen so many people that cha- horses have changed their lives and America course cares and the funding they get from that is a big part of it. So I'm so proud of my wife for doing that. Al, not only are you and your family and Becky all around horsemen, but you are all around human beings and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of you. Well, and I, I so appreciate having the chance to work with you and Ernie Rodina and Dave Pratt on the Star Network, the parent company of Better Horses going? Network. Is, and uh, you're the deal. reason yeah. that I'm doing uh, fun and fast times. I so appreciate your uh, interest in my program. And I say oh, we've thanks. probably taken more time than you had to give us, but I so appreciate the time that you that you gave to join us here on Fun and Fast Times. Well, Sharon, just don't make this the last time and I'll be happy, okay? Because I love talking to you. And um, I, uh, I'm looking forward to the next time. How's that? I am too. Well, God bless you. Ride safe. And thank you for what you do to inspire horses and riders in our industry. Al Dunning, thank, thank you. you. We'll be right back after this break with a question from Ash Sharon after a word from Barrel Racing Superstore. You're listening to Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times on the Better Horses Network. We'll be right back after this. The Barrel Racing Superstore is your one-stop shop, and we're here to help you. We have Rainsman bits, including Sharon's entire collection, and those hard-to-find discontinued favorites that we're committed to keeping in stock. You can build the saddle of your dreams with our experts, including seat size, tooling, and colors, so you can have a truly custom saddle. If you need electronic timers for your arena or association, we have them. Call us at 530-521-4644 or go to BarrelRacingSuperstore.com. We're here for your success. Rainsman Equestrian manufactures quality riding equipment. Founded in 1993, Rainsman offers a complete line of handmade bits, leather strap goods and saddles, with a dealer network reaching both across the United States and internationally as well. Rainsman is the ultimate performance manufacturer of American-made Western riding equipment. You can see the full line of Rainsman products at Rainsman.com. Rainsman Ultimate Performance. 
This is Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. And now, back to Sharon. Welcome back. I'm Sharon Camarillo, and our topic today on Fun and Fast Times is Don't Sell Yourself Short. I'm going to ask Debbie Wood, our producer at the Barrel Racing Superstore, to come to the microphone with uh, some Ask Sharon questions from our files. What do you have for us today, Turbo? Well, first of all, Sharon, I just want to say what an opportunity to interview the living legends in the equestrian world like Charmaine James and Al Dunning. That was just a great show, and you did a great job. Well, wasn't that fun to have Charmaine reiterate that experience at the uh, number one Friday the 13th national finals in December, how she ran out that gate in the back? Those are details I never knew about. Oh, I know. I've read that many, many times, and, and we didn't know about the Chicago screw flying back in her <laughs> face or the fact that she barely made it through that gate. Oh, my gosh, what a great story. With, uh, you know, running at a, a thousandth of a second, I mean, everything had to work for success on that particular run. Boy, no kidding. Hey, Sharon, you know, this show is worldwide with our listening audience, and Today, we're going to do an Ask Sharon question from Sue Ellen in Queensland, Australia. She writes that, Dear Sharon, I have recently finished a teaching degree and have just returned to rodeo competition. I am writing to you as I have a great concern about where the sport of rodeo is go- going in North Queensland. Here, rodeos are gr- gradually dwindling away. I would like to improve the status and public interest of rodeo. However, I have no idea where to start or what to do. I was hoping you could help me in this area. Do you have any ideas on how I could gain sponsorship for rodeo events? As a rodeo competitor, what can I do to gain the interest of sponsors towards sponsoring me? What are your thoughts? Well, that's that's interesting that you would ask that question. And I said it early on that um, I've never been to a clinic any place in the country or a, a, a question and answer session that somebody hasn't brought up the importance of sponsorship because – Truly, it's expensive to have those rigs together and the supplements and feeds for your horses and equipment and pack and and hauling down the road. So the in today's world of sponsorship and in an industry that actually has a $39 billion economic impact on our U.S. economy, there's a, a lot of competition for sponsors. Number one, Sue Ellen, I would suggest that you look at companies or products that you're familiar with. Number two, locate the decision maker because it takes a lot of time to work up through the channels. So if you can find the decision maker of the company, uh, give him your credentials as a contestant and present how you'd feel that you can create attention to their product. A word of advice is for competitors soliciting sponsorships, your involvement is more than wearing a patch. You're representing a company, you're writing for their brand and their products, and your actions reflect your involvement then. I suggest whether it be my company or any company that I work for, that relationships are probably the most important. If you don't like a person well enough to invite them to attend a Thanksgiving dinner with your family, I have to say, why would you want them to endorse your product? The bottom line is the relationships must be win-win for both endorsee and company or product. And I say, my name is my brand and I work hard to keep it clean and respected. If you'll do the same thing in your environment, make every run count 
Ask the committees if you can do something to help them. Represent yourself well and approach those uh, sponsors that you're already familiar with their product that should help you be able to be kind of a one-woman band in building the rodeos in your area. I, I certainly respect you for your passion for rodeo, and uh, I hope that this information helps you, Sue Ellen. Thanks, Sharon. You know, the other thing I'd like to add is as you wear those shirts with the logos after you get that hard-working sponsorship, when you leave the rodeo arena, when you're on your way home, you still have the same shirt on. Remember that you're still representing that company, and they appreciate it anytime that you look good, you feel good, and when somebody has a question about the company, have some knowledge about it and share with the public. Sharon, you did a great job today, and thank you so much. Thanks, Deb. And I really appreciate our friends and fans that write in to ask Sharon on a variety of questions. I, I want to, uh, a reminder that it's horse fair season, and that's a great place to shop. And uh, also enjoy your favorite horsemen and horsewomen like Al Dunning and Charmaine James in an up-close and personal setting. My next appearances are at the Hoosier Horse Fair in Indianapolis, and we'll have award-winning coach Donna Irvin and Team Blackhawk College riding with us. And then uh, for our Canadian fans, my daughter Stormy and I will be participating at the main event in Red Deer, Alberta. You can always Google any of these horse fairs for additional information. I have to say a very special thank you to the barrel racing legend Charmaine James and all-around horseman extraordinaire Al Dunning for spending a part of their busy day with us. The ink industry as a whole contributes $39 billion to the U.S. economy, an overwhelming amount of money, and in part due to professionals like Alan Charmaine who provide the inspiration and lessons to all of us and remind us how exciting the bond between a horse and human can be. We'll look forward to uh, our next Fun and Fast Times podcast, in the meantime, remember to enjoy the journey towards your success. The destination can often be disappointing. However, identifying that destination provides us direction in setting our goals. I always say if you're going to make the trip between Los Angeles and New York City, you have to at least figure out the routes to take. And that's no different than destination in perspective to setting goals. One thing remains to be seen, the view at every level of success.